Great Expectations is part of the Earth 2 network of podcasts. Episode 14, Uncanny X-Men number 126 to 131. everybody, this is Jerry. And Mr. Sean. And we are here today with a very special guest, Mr. Alan White. You may know him on Twitter or Facebook as at New Mutant. He is super cool. He is also the author and artist on The Power Principle, a super groovy comic, which you can find at his blog spot, which is powerprinciplecomic.blogspot.com. He's had two successful Kickstarters. And he's a superhero in our books. We are here today <laughs> because you, sir, are a true lover, fan, and expert of all things Uncanny X-Men. Uh, you know, I might I might take that title. I might own that. Just laughed because I really wanted him to stop at true lover. <laughs> you, sir, are a true lover. <laughs> <laughs> That's because I'm interested in... You getting yours. That's right. And that's what helped me get mine. See, guys, this man gets it. He knows what we're into. We're into ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) And we're into each other. (laughs) That's why I I listen. (laughs) Uh, Not literal. Well, okay, maybe. Anyway, so, Alan. Yes? Tell us how you got into comics. Happily. So... My mother was is a, was a single mom raising me up. Um, it was a choice she made because my dad was ratchet. Yes, there it is. In the Not 60s. Yes. Number one. Okay. I'll have you know. In, in, in the <laughs> 60s. It's hard to be ratchet in the 60s, and my dad pulled it off, so he gets a little bit of kudos for that. All right. So she went to work. Uh, so this was in New York City starting out, and she went to work up in Rockland County, which is like 25 miles north of New York City. You got to cross the you got to cross the bridge, and to well, don't worry about it. And <laughs> it was a Rockland Psychiatric Hospital that she worked at, and she lived on campus because at the time they had housing for people who worked there, which is so unusual. Yeah, and they fed people, so they had a canteen. I think they called it a canteen. And um, on her days off, she would sometimes bring me up there and then take me home from there to her place mm-hmm. um, from the city. So I would be in the canteen waiting for her to get off of work. And one time um, she gave me some money to get some comic books. And on the spinner rack in the canteen at Rockland Psychiatric Hospital was this um, title called X-Men. I don't know if you heard of it. And the thing that drew me to it was the cover had this woman with her arms kind of in a U in a Y shape and she was bursting out of some water and the guy and one of the, one of the characters on the cover, the water was halfway in his mouth. His, he was like, his mouth was like wide open. He's like, ah, and the water's halfway in his mouth while she's bursting out of the water behind him. And I'm like, 
who is that? What is that? I want to know what that is. So my first comic book was X-Men 101. Damn. Nice. That's awesome. You're my Off hero. the spinner rack. <laughs> I'm pretty jealous. How, how is it possible to survive all these years as a comic book fan when you buy the perfect comic book as your first comic book and everything else is downhill? <laughs> well, you, you would think that that would be the case, right? Except that eventually John Byrne took over. <laughs> it got even art. better. <laughs> and it, and it, and it exploded. I am trying to recover from that letdown of, of John Byrne not doing the same stuff with Terry inking him. Yeah. But, um, uh, I've got podcasts like yours to, to call back to the Halcyon days and to listen to Sean Pigeon taking me all the way back in detail. <laughs> Sean must be 56 or 57 years old, I think. Clearly. Stuff. It's true. He almost fainted hearing you say that. <laughs> <laughs> Sean's just a young lad compared to I'm the to youngster. Us. He's a child of the Do you not know how 90s. old I am? I, yes, I do not know how old you are. Okay, I am 32 years old. See, that's... Get some of that milk but from behind his ears, if you would. Uh, Okay, done. Anything else? Uh, How do you retain such great facts about these wonderful classic comics? Um, I think that I've... I don't think I would have known as much when I was younger, but appreciating them, going back, rereading them. I mean, I have all of them, and I've been a huge X-Men fan. And so I think knowing the history is important to understand what's going on now. When you do it again, and I know you will, I'm going to call it out. Do what? Like, we'll talk about something, and then he'll go back in X-Men 84 <laughs> when when it was Alex and Lorna was at the, the laboratory, and that's because it was in over at Avengers when Magneto and Wanda was doing just knowing stuff. Yeah. I'll do my Every best. I'm listening to it, I'm like, I'm like winging my hands like, ooh! Yeah. Ooh, ooh. That's what I do at home. Wow, Sean. Yeah. So that, that's what the world really thinks of you. I wondered. That I've got some knowledge and yeah. I say um a lot. That's you know what? Honest, honestly, I think my answer to that question would be the fact that, like, I've never been a person who, like, drifts from interest to interest. It's like the things that I do love, I really love. And so I kind of focus a lot of my energy into those things. Like, even as a kid, like, when I would get invested into, like, I wasn't, like, a kid who got distracted by, like, toy commercials. Mm-hmm. It was, like, if I was into G.I. Joe's, I was into G.I. Joe's for years. Like, I, I didn't hop from one thing to the other. Mm-hmm. Except for relationships, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> but the X-Men are clearly my one true love, followed only by Jerry. But you're winning go. me over, Alan. If I were coming to C2E2... My whole life would change. Oh, well. Oh, boy. Maybe that is bold. <laughs> You've made quite an impression. <laughs> yeah, it's too bad you're not going, Sean, yeah. because Alan's going to be at C2E2. I'll be at C2E2. Well, you'll be there, so that's why I'm not going. Oh. <laughs> oh, dang. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. If I was going, though, we could do a we could do a hotel podcast. We could all gather around in the room. To. Yeah, I, we talked about it when Don was on, didn't we? I don't know. Yeah, I don't really. I didn't really pay anything. attention to Don. Come on, let's be honest. 
I did the best I could, but mostly I was just angry for the entire episode. Larry <laughs> Hama. Larry Hama. Come on now. I, I love the guy. I love G.I. Joe, but he owes me an apology. Oh. Larry, <laughs> Larry Hama owes you the apology? Or yeah, you know what, though? I'm not going to ask him in person because I think that dude would whip my ass in five <laughs> seconds. <laughs> I met him at Emerald City last year, and he, he still looks like a pretty badass dude. Okay. Uh, so I guess I don't have to ask my next question of how you came to the X-Men because that's where you started. Yes. It was the X-Men and then it was uh, the Fantastic Four. Those are my, my two ones. But X-Men came first, actually. And I did know that about you, that you were a Fantastic Four fan because I've heard all of your Fantastic Four sites bits on the Marvel Noise podcast. Just so, there. Alan, tell us. I mean, we really don't have to guess at why you would pick this story arc that we're going to talk about today. But um, it's not going to surprise anybody, but why don't you tell us what you've chosen to talk about and why you've chosen it. So it's the uh, early burn stuff in the X-Men. And at, at any point, I'm ready to jump in. Um, but these, these issues, you got my getting the one oh one from the commissary. And then me going back well, was it bi monthly back then? No, it started to be monthly around Burns time. Was it was monthly, it was, right? I think uh, one thirteen or one fourteen was the first monthly. Good. So every month I'm going to the spinner racks and the uh, stationery stores and the uh, Walden books to get my comics. And then there was a flea market that opened up outside of Spring Valley, New York. So it was in Muncie, New York, on 59, Route 59, which would have been maybe a quarter of a mile away from my high school. And so on the weekends, I would walk. There's a set of train tracks that went that goes through Spring Valley and goes behind, like parallel to Route 59. Everybody that I'm talking to right now knows exactly what I'm talking about. I know <laughs> they do. I do. You know why this is cool? This is cool because when everybody thinks about reading comics, part of the experience of thinking about it is remembering the route you walked to get there, what the yes. shop looked like. That's the best part. Yeah. Yep. I know I've got so, the Stand By Me theme playing in my head right now. Because <laughs> that's, exa <laughs> see, that's exactly what – that is exactly it, dude. That is exactly it. I don't know why railroad engineers built these train tracks in these in these remote places – in a populated area, but they found they found this corridor of trees and nothing else. Even though it went right through town, be on those tracks and there's nothing that exists but those tracks. Yeah. And so I'm on those tracks and I'm, I walk to Muncie, get my comics, and then I walk home reading the comics on the tracks. You would think that I should be concerned about trains coming. However, this leg of tracks had no, never had trains on them. And I'm here today, so I never got hit by a train on these oh, tracks. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> so in life, I hope that everybody has a time they can close their eyes and go back to a time in their life where it was perfectly innocent and just uh, – there was no responsibilities. There was no fear. There was no anxiety. There's no care for your future. No, nothing. Just, just a, just a idyllic, perfect segment of life that you could always go back to when you close your eyes. 
if you ever need to. Like when your boss is on the very last nerve that you have for that day. <laughs> and these comics, these issues are in that scenario for me. Those are the comics that I was reading on, on those, on those train tracks on the way back home. There was no, there was no sense of time. I had no deadlines. I had no agenda. I had, I didn't have to be home at a certain time. It didn't matter what time I left. I could be on those train tracks for as long as the daylight lasted. Reading my comics, man. And these are those, these are those comics. So that's why I wanted to cover them. Awesome. That's the best. Oh man, you make my heart all a flutter. That was beautiful. It's a beautiful thing, man. <laughs> it's life, man. It's real. First time I ever went to a comic book store, it was like two and a half miles from my house, and I was walking with my older brother. It was before I'd really gotten into comic books, and there was it was winter, so there was snow everywhere, and there was a river we had to cross, but you could like step on rocks. And I, I fucking missed one of the rocks, stuck Ow. my boot into the water, and when I pulled my foot up, the boot was gone. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Never did find that boot. <laughs> gone. It must have got stuck in mud when I pulled my foot up. It was just. It probably wasn't mud, it was industrial sludge or something. <laughs> yeah. Southeast Michigan, awesome. man. Yep. I did manage to get an April O'Neil toy that day, though. All right. Frostbite. Did your brother carry you home? No. You, you had to walk. <laughs> I did. It was more of a kind of a hop that I yeah. did. Yeah. It was pretty good. <laughs> All right. So uh, I guess that's enough foreplay. Let's get into this, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I guess we should stop torturing the people and get to the X talk. This what are you is like talking a- about? That segment right there with you discussing walking those train tracks is going to melt people's heart. I almost teared up. I did tear up. That's why I still ride on my the bike inside. to the comic book store. Because I want to recreate that moment as much as possible. Word. It doesn't quite work out when people drive by in their cars and scream nerd at me because I'm <laughs> 32. <laughs> and I wear a Captain America bike helmet. Where we're, we're talking about some joyless people That's driving true. by you. I don't envy them at all. Anybody that lives around here is joyless. It's true. You can't help it. Previously on X-Men. So, Alan. Yes. Uh, we will be talking about the Proteus storyline. Yes. And our introduction to Miss Catherine Pride. And yes. Miss Allison Blair. Yes. You may know them as... Sprite or Shadow Cat, and the Dazzler or Disco Dazzler. <laughs> but uh, these are some of the best stories that Claremont and Byrne have done, and we've saved them for you because you deserve them. Don't forget Ariel. I was forgetting it. That's not my favorite. They would call it Carla that because of her Jewish heritage. Yeah, Jewish. My first girlfriend was Jewish. True story. Yeah. Yeah. She was great. She was really smart, way smarter than me. Is that what ended it? She was like, oh, you're on this dummy. Kinda. Really? <laughs> Kinda, yeah. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. I didn't mean to. Good times. That nerve. Oh. Did you, uh. <laughs> that's when you... I stopped reading comics too. I was like, fuck this, fuck her. Really? No. Okay. But it really? was around the same time. Okay. Interestingly. Did you, uh. What got you to stop reading comics? Um, they got too expensive, man. Okay. I think I just didn't have the money to to keep doing it, and 
I think the when I left, the X Men were in the outback. Um, Fall of the Mutants had happened, and it just got so dark for me. Oh yeah, it was like the worst of the Jim Shooter era. You know, it was too depressing. It didn't feel like my X Men anymore. Did you? Uh, yeah. Did you make her? Did Did you ask if you could ever call her Kitty? I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. <laughs> All right. So issue 126 begins with the X-Men responding to a an emergency phone call from Lorna Dane. And they're rushing to Muir Island to find out what's going on. And uh, Claremont and Byrne have been hinting at what's going on for a long time now. Finally, we get to find out what was behind the door that said, Do not enter Mutant X, or whatever the hell it said. I kind of miss... That element of comics, I don't think that it works as well anymore with the way that everything's done for trade because of the multiple ways that people can consume comics now. Like, because I know growing up there were a lot of things that, like, were subplots that had been building and building. You know, I'd always go to those editor's notes and be like, oh, it mentions this issue, I should go track down that back issue. And I just feel like that's kind of lost. And I think that there's a way that they could do it in the new comics with those like little AR boxes that they have everywhere where it could recap stuff like that. You know, you could mm-hmm. like hold your phone over it or iPad or whatever, and it could, you know, show you those panels or whatever. Sixty-five percent of the time, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. or zero percent for yeah. me. Yeah, um, but I just like because when you, you know, especially like leading into the Dark Phoenix saga and stuff like that. When you're reading that trade, which a lot of people hand other people as though it's like the greatest X-Men story ever, you miss a lot of the buildup of uh, Jason Weingard like messing with Gene. Mm-hmm. And it's just like I kind of miss, because this Mutant X thing like has been building and building and building. So then when you finally get to it, it's like, oh my god, it's here. This is so awesome. And I miss that. Like yeah. I miss subplots being, everybody wants to, everything like, you know, if there's, like, a dangling plot thread in an issue, I can go to the internet and immediately see that, like, Tom Brevoort is getting, like, blasted on his Tumblr page. <laughs> oh, yeah, like People really? are just like, what does this mean? Why do... This could have been 32 pages, and you could have answered that question, and, you know... Yeah. I just miss people being able to, like, relax and enjoy the ride. I, I'm not gonna just assume that people were relaxing and enjoying the ride about stuff like that. I think they're like, when are they gonna answer this freaking question? True. It's but just so long ago and, that they're all dead by now. When I, just kidding, just kidding, Alan. When I go back and read these, though, <laughs> I picture everything in a very romantic way. I picture people sure. sitting on the train tracks in the middle of the woods reading these comics yeah. without okay. a care in the no, world. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Clearly, we have a perfect example here with us. A perfect example of everything. Did you allow the slow build to happen, Alan, or were you like, "Fuck this shit! I gotta know now"? Oh no, no, no! That well, there was no nothing I could do anyway. There, there was. I wasn't on the internet in uh, eighty <laughs> in, in seventy nine and, and eighty two. So it was just I had to wait for the next month to find out what the fuck. Instead of the internet <laughs> to scream at, you just screamed at trees. <laughs> <laughs> because so, I had no friends or anything. So it was just the trees and me. Kitty Pride was your friend. <laughs> yeah. So I think the guy that does this best now for Marvel is Jonathan Hickman. And I think there was a little bit of a learning curve when he when he came along with his Fantastic Four run. I yeah. think we saw some of this. And I know Alan wasn't a big fan of it in the I beginning. Was, 
griping, buddy. Yeah. But did, it did work out in the end for you, right? Like, you came around yes. and you really dug it. Yes. Yes, yeah. I have to give him all his all his due propers because he uh, he really brought it around. He tied things up. He paid off the, the character beats, and mm-hmm. he did a really good job with that. And I know, I mean, I'm really happy with what Bendis is doing in the X-Books right now. But I know the time is coming when Hickman is going to be on the Xbooks. And I think it's going to kick ass. My heart just caught in my throat there for a second. Sean's grimacing. I don't know. He's got something Because I loved Secret Warriors. I loved Fantastic Four. It's the books right now are... I feel like I have to, like, sit down and chart out what's going on to understand it. But here's the thing. I think... That by the end, it's all going to come together. Right. Like it'll just all of a sudden just click into place, and everybody's going to be like, "Holy crap!" But there were moments during the Fantastic Four run before it got the whole picture where there were like brief, tiny character moments where I was like, "This is all worth it." Yeah, and you're you, not, you don't feel like you're getting any of that. I now. don't, not right now. Yeah, just the one, <laughs> the one tiny bit of uh, what I would have wanted him to do differently is some of the. Franklin and Valeria stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I really, I really need those those two to to stop being so stupid. Right. Yeah. And Johnny. Yeah. But I guess I have to just accept that Johnny's a, a moron. I just have to accept that. <laughs> but see, I really like the fact, and this was he was my, badass by the end. I, he was, and and um, when they killed him, like that was probably the first death in comics in a long time that actually got to me. Like, that was, like, I remember I went and, like, ran laps at a gym after I read that issue, because I was just, like, I wanted to, like, think about it. And that, like, really got to me. And I thought when he came back, he was, I was like, holy shit, they finally changed Johnny. Like, he's gonna be different from here on out. And right. Fraction took over the book, and it was, that's, ooh. You're exactly right. That's, yeah. that's what I forgot. I, I, I kind of almost, well, I did. I just painted, uh, I just painted Johnny with a fraction brush when yeah. I was remembering, um, Hickman's contribution. My bad, Hickman. I'm sorry. <laughs> he did do, he did wonderfully with Johnny. Fraction is the one that dropped that goddamn ball. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Hard, dude. Oh, that was rough. All right, this is an X-Men podcast. Well, let's and get going. guys, we've been getting feedback about how the show is too long. I heard that. He was mad. I'm okay with it. Who was mad? The, um, your artist, right? The, oh, the, oh, yeah, Baron Strucker. Oh, Baron Strucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not just him. He's just angry about everything we do. But, uh, <laughs> because he's Baron Strucker, that's why. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I'm good with the episodes being two and a half hours, but I don't know. I don't. Know. What do you think, Alan? You listen to shows Fine a lot. With it. I, I need. I, I'm sitting here drawing and coloring and stuff, and I, as as long as there's voices playing, as long as I'm working, I'm happy. It doesn't make a difference on how long it is. And if I don't, if I run out of time, then I stop it, and I pick it up where I left off the next time. It's that, possible. See, I want everybody to think like that. Yeah, that's what I do. But I don't think everybody consumes I their media that way. That when you go to C two E two, you give Alan a hug for me. I will. I'll make it a long lingering one. All right. Ah, I feel it already. See, he wants you to get yours so that he can get his, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh... Angus McWhorter. 
(laughs) This guy has gotten more mention on this show than he ever did in the book. (laughs) Poor, poor Angus McWhirter is just... He's just a withered sack of potatoes by the time the X-Men find him. But human, I need you. That was chilling back back in the day. Yeah. Hey, this storyline, this this villain is probably the perfect villain. He's I, this is the guy that makes always makes the creepiest movies, the most compelling horror, because there's little you can do to stop him, and the moment you meet him is the, your last moment on earth. You know, and the, and in the narrative, when they did, they kept doing that, when Claremont kept doing that, it makes you feel for these little characters you've never even met before. Yeah. Yeah. The girl That's with the flat tire on the side of the road, I was yeah. just like, because she was young, you know, like when he went after, I just, you know. Angus McWhorter had it coming. He had it coming because he was trying to fuck with the X-Men. You don't do that. busted his boat. <laughs> hey, it was a hovercraft, all right? It wasn't a boat. Alright. <laughs> but none of the other ones deserved it though. No. No. Ferdy Ferdy didn't deserve it. No. Ferdy was going home to his wife and kids. Yeah. Man. Shouldn't have been out at the bar, Ferdy. But they'd be listening to all of what us. What else are they gonna be doing? That's true. Having been there, I can tell you that's pretty much all you do. <laughs> but it's awesome. Plus like it shows you how evil Proteus is that there's Moira McTaggart just loading a gun like I know he's my son, but Clutch. <laughs> yeah, so I guess to bring everybody up to speed who maybe hasn't read this, basically this mutant, mysterious mutant X has escaped, has uh, torn up everyone at Muir Island, which includes Moira McTaggart, Jamie Madrox, the multiple man, uh, Lorna Dane and Alex Summers, and uh, Jean Grey. They've all been knocked stupid. They have no idea what's going on. And uh, they try to fill the X-Men in as best they can, but all of them are shaken to their core. And it turns out that this mutant X, who goes by the, the name Proteus, is actually Moira McTaggart's son. And as we'll find in this storyline, not only does she have a son that we didn't know about, she has a husband that we didn't know about. And not only did we not know about her, poor Sean Cassidy didn't know about her. Him. Surprise! Surprise! Didn't seem that affected by it, though. (laughs) Well, you know, he plays it cool. But you know on the inside, we men like to keep our emotions on the inside so that the comic reader can't see them. But inside, we're just a constant tempest of emotions. Ooh, a constant tempest. But, but But can I go into just the art, a little bit of this art? That is why you were here. So... You pointed out correctly so last episode. I, I, I listened, Charity, and oh. I. And when you point out how the um, how Terry Austin does Storm's hair while uh-huh. she's using her powers, yeah, I like the way you put it. You, you were like it, it fades into the cloud, the dark around or whatever. But it was it was good. I can't say it the way you said, it, and I love the way you said. It. Now that she now every time she uses her powers now it, you get that dark liney effect around her and then her hair being white just kind of it, the borders of her hair now is the storm around her instead of the line that just is her hair 
Yeah. So so that's cool. But then there's a scene where she uses her powers to blow Moira McTaggart out of the shadows. And she blows Moira up against Scott. <laughs> and you get a little uppage of the boob. Yeah, you there. do. <laughs> when she smashes against Scott's chest. You know, as I was reading this, I was like, ooh. And then I was like, I am not going to mention that on the show because I am tired of getting shit about it. But since Alan brought it up, it's open season now. We can talk about boobs the rest of the episode. Awesome. I just appreciate that that attention to detail. He, you know, that, he, that these, these characters are made out of stuff. They're flesh. And the flesh moves and yields when things happen. Yeah, it does. And it, it is, it is yielding in a very pleasant manner. <laughs> <laughs> it goes, <"Bro." laughs> Yeah, the only thing it's missing is a sound effect. <laughs> but that's the thing that I've always appreciated about John Byrne is that when he drew his figures, he took into account their shapes. Like you, like, like Storm has a, a fuller bosom than Jean does. For yeah. instance, she she certainly does. She certainly that's, does. I like that stuff. I'm gonna start fanning myself. <laughs> Sean's having a moment. <laughs> oh, fanning yourself—is that what the kids are calling it these days? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like it. And um, yeah, just and his his um, man, his lines, just his his anatomy, the the way he, I just love this. Art, I, I, I think he's a mutant. I think this so is back too. in the day before, um, you know, all the computer aids that we use today to make our stuff good or better. Uh, how we can, how we can um, duplicate and how we can flip it to the to, the, to make um, a perfect symmetrical face and mm-hmm. things that we can do with the computer. He was doing all this by hand, dude. Yeah. All the Im- all the image, I mean, all the angles and and all the perspective and just everything is just so pristine. It's just so perfect. It's not <laughs> I agree a hundred percent. And the thing that that makes me happiest about these two arcs that we're talking about is that um, it felt a little bit like the the last issues that we talked about where they're in Japan and then the arcade stuff. It felt a little more rushed to me. And this seems like once you get to Proteus and then especially once you get to 129, it's like they know that what they're doing is going to be special and they're putting the time in to make it special. And mm. the the art just hits this peak for them. You know, that that's uh, where the quality from page to page is just at the top. Of what they've done from for for an entire issue, enti- entire three issues, five issues, ten issues. You know, it's just every panel is magnificent, and, uh, and that that's why it's considered the best. I think cool story, but the art, bam, awesome all the way through. Yeah. So add in also as far as story goes that there's more of that advanced with Jason Weingard sneaking into Jean's head and taking her to quote, a dark place, unquote, where she imagines herself being a part of a fox hunt. I mean, a, yeah, a fox hunt. Mm-hmm. Except when, I guess it's supposed to be a deer hunt. Because when she finds the, the body that the hounds landed on, 
in her image, in the image that Jason gave her, it's a man wearing horns. Right. And nothing else. A little something for the ladies. (laughs) Yeah. The quality, right? I mean, one thing I picked up is that there are no shortage of female fans on the X books and you can, you can see that in the letters pages of these books. Tons of women writing in. And I like that. Women should dig comics. Yeah. So that's for Ferdy. Ferdy's body. So Jason Weingart is twisted. Can anybody just agree that he's a twisted SOB? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's especially added, like I said, if you see the whole progression of him just constantly messing with her leading up to the Dark Phoenix saga. like Yeah, and really getting off on it. I mean, he's violating her in a way that, I mean, it's not sexual, but in a way it's worse. He's corrupting her. He's corrupting her appetites. And it's really unfortunate that he came along because I don't know that this story plays out the way it does without Jason Wingard showing up. You know, and if only Proteus had uh, had the had the had the guts to just try try to attack him because Wingard went right past Proteus in yeah. the town. Now, Proteus did had he taken over? Yeah, Proteus he, had taken over one of Jamie's. Um, bodies, uh-huh. and Wingard was coming out of an inn because he 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 he's staying close to wherever Jean is in order to mess with her head. So he's in the he's in Scotland, he's in the town, and he walks past Jamie and Proteus inside Jamie's body is like, I want to go. I should take him. Wait a minute, there's there's a psychic barrier. There's a problem. I'm going to leave him alone. And and off Wingard goes. Wingard goes to continue to mess with Jane with her. Uh, with Gene, and then that's when, after that, that's when he does that um, fox hunt thing, deer hunt thing. I think that's really effective writing when you you dangle an escape for the entire uh, terrible thing that's about to happen. You know, you've got this this whole storyline, this whole Dark Phoenix storyline that's going to happen right at the beginning. This could have changed the entire scope of the story, and it was a, a near miss. You know, so yep. so everybody that reads this is going to look back on that and go, "Oh, if that had just happened this way, none of this would have happened." I love that. Yep. Go Claremont. Claremont's a good dude. And oh, I wanted to mention too. Uh, this is, I guess, as far as I can recall, the first instance of one of Jamie's dupes being killed. I think you're right. Yeah, he sure, sure is shaken up by it. And I remember this happening in. In X Factor, uh, one of his dupes side, and I guess the big deal then was that everybody thought it was him, and it just turned out to be one of his dupes, right? Mm-hmm. But it was a big deal that one of his dupes died anyway, right? Am I remembering mm-hmm. that right? But it's happened all the way back in the seventies, and it wasn't easy on him. He was clearly shaken up by it. Yeah, but um, it's happened before. Fans of the nineties, this all happened before. Oh, they sorry, took Sean. They took it from the Masters. That's right. It was a direct shot at Sean and stupid Don Cardenas. Oh! <laughs> Who's my boo? I'm just kidding. He's my boo. <laughs> I can't call Don stupid. He is not stupid. He's smart and he's handsome. Wow. But he has he bad taste in comments. He refuses to admit it. He refuses to admit it. That's right. He does. He denies it every time. Yep. So, uh, where do we want to go next? 
Well, I think like that leads right into Wolverine actually tracking down Proteus, and uh, Proteus starts to mess with Wolverine, which takes this whole arc into a complete. It's the first time that you really see Proteus's power being used. Because the first thing he was going to do was going to just jump right into that body and take him, take yeah. him over. And when Proteus goes in, you don't live; you die. So he was just about to kill Wolverine. And the only thing that hurts Proteus is metal. So he chose the wrong X Man to try to he take over. So, so where a matchup against Magneto doesn't really play into these X Men's favor, a matchup against a guy like Proteus does. And they're fortunate to have Colossus and Wolverine around this time. Yeah. So I will say that there was a little bit of bad writing in the way they constructed this story. Because you do see Proteus using cars all over the place, which are built almost entirely of metal back in the 70s. So for some reason, that was okay. I don't know. No, no, now. I think it's because his raw energy form can't have interaction with metal. But he was oh. he's clothed in flesh okay. every time he's driving and stuff. Nice. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, his, it's his raw energy form that can't Take contact that metal. Take ratchet nitpicker. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will take my beating. I'm an idiot. I'm a ratchet idiot. Ratchet ass. <laughs> I'll just be over here with my ratchet ass while you guys talk. <laughs> oh, ratchet ass fanboy over there. As he pushes up his glasses, well, I think I know something about this. <laughs> I don't know anything. You know some stuff, but this you don't know. This thing you don't know. We'll forgive you. So uh, Proteus starts to break out his uh, reality-altering powers, and, and here's where things start getting really crazy. I love these pages um, because they're really weird, and uh, and it just clicked with me reading it this time that Burn is drawing all this stuff. Like, this is just out of his head. Like, reality's gotten weird and here's what it looks like. You know, there's no camera filming it. This is all out of his head. Mm-hmm. He gets a high five from me for that. Absolutely. If just I could ever meet him. Distorting their, uh, just distorting the, the, the proportions and stretching them and that he can do that. And he can change the perspective, the, the elongation and the foreshortening of the figures. He can do all that just without any, again, without any computer Enhancement without without getting a 3D model and stretching it in the graphics, he can do it out of his brain. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, every once in a while, our buddy Rob Haffernan draws in his sketchbook and posts it on Twitter and Facebook. And one time, I told him I wished I could see the world through his eyes because he has such a strange uh, look to his art. His portraits are just so weirdly beautiful. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this is the same kind of thing. Like I just wish that my mind could could do this kind of thing, have this kind of creativity. I don't. I can enjoy it, but I can't make it. I'm sad. I don't uh, know how you guys do it, Alan. I wish I did it just a little better. Okay, a lot better. <laughs> but I'm getting there. Yeah, you are. It's, it's that. It's that. Um. That that ability to put it out there i i, I hear you I, I don't know i don't remember what it was like before i i could do it my try to do it myself but i i guess just loving it as much 
drew me into it, maybe you never know, Mr. McDay. You love it as much as you do. Maybe you'll start to try it. I did. I did. I broke out my sketchbook maybe right. a year and a half ago, and I, I did a couple pages. See? And it it was fun, but I just really don't have time. It just oh. came it just came down to that. Two little kids. Now the podcast, and I'm getting a lot more out of this than I did out of the drawing. So I'll just let the people who are good at it do it and enjoy theirs. There's plenty of free art out there on Twitter. I'll enjoy theirs. Until you get sick of it and then you get back to it and you'll right. do it again. Hopefully there will be time to satiate that art before the, also, the dark end comes. You'll need to be posting those pictures you just spoke about. Please, thank you. You know, I did start a thread on the 11 o'clock comics forum. Well, both sketches link, on it. But. You have to link to it. You have all these listeners who don't know anything about the eleven o'clock comics forum thread. I'm okay with link, that. <laughs> link, you have to link it in the show notes so we can all go and look at it. Thank you very much. So at the end of issue one twenty six, we get to see Proteus on the last page. Really cool. They've driven him out of his his last human body, and you just see kind of a negative image of him in a whirlwind that Storm has created. And uh, it's awesome looking, man. Like, it, the, just, it just intensifies the creepiness of the character to me. He's still in his body. Here. Yeah, but he's still in, his bo- he's still in that body. He is? Yeah. Oh, he, oh, that's, okay, yeah, he's all withered and stuff. All right, he's still in his body. I'm blowing it. Well, then why the hell is he a negative image? What am I doing? It, it, yeah, well, what is that all about? Why can't he be? I should have taken better effect. Use. Yeah, there, so there's a cool effect where you don't see his body, and he's just this negative, negative pocket of air, which is probably foreshadowing the right. end of 128. Perhaps, perhaps yes. that's it, Sean. Thank you for the save. And that leads me to the cover of 127, which shows a similar deal, where you've got this form of Proteus attacking Storm, and there's this weird pinky-purple fuchsia energy cloud surrounding them. Turns out this is a coloring error. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Really? What was it supposed to be? This is, I think it's just supposed to be white. And um, this is a, a whirlwind created that Storm is using to try to blow Proteus away from her. Mm-hmm. And so it's a coloring error. In the omnibus, still, all these years later, the omnibus still has the coloring error, but there are um, international editions that got the coloring right. Hmm. Hmm. And John Byrne's still sore about it. Now, that's the part about John <laughs> Byrne that I'm not... <laughs> that, that I, I gladly pass by. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I, it, uh, just, he can calm down a lot of times if he tried... He can, but I will. I I enjoy his ability, his uh, willingness to just put stuff out there, because without it, I never know about stuff like that. And he can be a little rough around the edge of saying it, but yeah, he's John Byrne. He can say what he wants, as long as he's not talking about my mama. He can say what he wants. Well, then you get a pass then, because I think you fall into the demographics of what he accepts completely. <laughs> right. Anybody that listens to him. Unconditionally, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and some 
Never mind. Let's keep going. Are you suggesting that I'm a white male? Is that what you're (laughs) suggesting? A little bit, yeah. A little bit. Ah. I guess I never picked that up, but uh, I haven't looked that deeply. Well, I'm not saying he hates anybody who's not a white male. I'm just saying that sometimes other racial demographics he takes pop shots at, like he did oh. about uh, Sue Storm casting in, in the Fantastic Four movie. Oh, did he? Yeah. He, he, uh, his quote is that anytime he sees a Latina with, bl- with uh, dyed blonde hair, he thinks of prostitution. Oh man! See, I told you let's keep going, but you wanted me to. I had, I was gonna, but no. And I thought that was just the most ignorant thing I've heard in a very, very long time. Yeah, it is ignorance. Yeah. Well, he he sure can draw, huh? (laughs) Yes, and that and that won't change. (laughs) That remains true as well. Yeah. Ah. So. Bleh. Okay, I'm trying. Let's... So there's a there's a point too where after uh, he kind of knocks Storm out, uh, Moira McTaggart starts shooting at him, which I just thought it's pretty awesome that she's uh thinking that. Not clear. I mean, I just think it's telling how powerful Proteus is that his own mother is willing to stop him by killing him. In order to make sure that he doesn't completely go nuts and alter reality. And unfortunately, your boy, Cyclops, <laughs> is a little slow on the uptake yeah. and tries to stop her and prolongs this whole story, which is either good or bad, depending on whether you're an X-Men or a reader of their comics. But, um, yeah, he's, he thinks she's lost her mind, but it turns out he's just not yeah, so smart. Scott stops her from taking the killing shot, and then Moira... Kicks the shit out of him. <laughs> yeah. Right in the bread basket. How badass is Moira McTaggart? Yeah. Badass. Badass. We like her. We do. Especially Although, in this whatever uniform she's broken out, this cosmonaut, skin tight cosmonaut thing. I don't know what's going on. I'm glad she had it in the closet. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know what that is, man. It's, it's her utility garment. Yeah. For working in the lab when you get stuff spilled on you and things. I just feel like as a, as a Scottish lady, it should probably be tartan or something. You know? Wow. Some kind of plaid. That's that's because that's what every Scottish person wears. Yeah. That's what I yeah. wear. What's happening now, Burn? Yeah. <laughs> hey. Hey, that's my people we're talking about. All right, so I'll give it. I'll let you have it. You can tell me anything you want about the Scottish. Jerry just said my people. <laughs> Yeah. Which I read as what do you, you people. What do you mean? What do you mean you're Let's people? Get, him, Alan. <laughs> get me, internet, get me. <laughs> I deserve it. Now you get to say whatever you want about your your people. <laughs> I love my people. Above all other oh, here he goes. Oh yeah, here we go. <laughs> so so yeah, Moira McTaggart's a badass. We'll just leave it at that. And she looks fine in white and purple. Yeah. It doesn't need to be plaid. Why does it have to be plaid? <laughs> There's a recap. We got to get going because on the next page we have my favorite X-Men accessory of all time that I wish they had made a toy of. Oh, yeah? Banshee's hot plate. <laughs> <laughs> they all regroup. 
They've been getting their ass kicked by a reality warping mutant who, mind you, is still out there. <laughs> and Banshee's like, hold on, lads. I'm going to make you some hot chocolate. <laughs> Job well done. <laughs> uh, so let, these, just pointing out that these are Sean's favorite dudes. The hot chocolate guy and the guy that stopped Moira from killing a murderer. <laughs> Good job, Sean. Yep. I like people that know when to take a relaxing break, buddy. You do. That's true. <clears throat> so then, uh, while they're taking the break, Cyclops notices that Wolverine is, uh, really shaken up. Literally <laughs> shaking. Yeah. He's sitting there, sipping on his hot cocoa like a real man, <laughs> shaking in his boots. And what does Cyclops do? He goes over there and he throws his hot chocolate in Wolverine's face. <laughs> oh. Cyclops is either incredibly stupid or incredibly smart. It, it ends up being the second one, I guess. But man, I would not be throwing hot chocolate in Wolverine's I face. Just, I, I really hope that in his head he was just like... Not even that he knew that this was going to work. He was just like, you know what? I've wanted to do this for so long. <laughs> just launches it into his face. Now, see, that's that's the way that Ultimate Cyclops thought. Yeah. I really enjoyed that about him. Like, those two hated each other, and every opportunity they got to flay the skin off of each other, mm. they took. But, yeah, it works out. He uh, snaps Wolverine out of his funk through fisticuffs. Mm-hmm. Like including- real man. Including a sweet bank shot off of Colossus's armored form. Yep. If I was Colossus, I'd be a little bummed. I'd be like, what the fuck, man? Like, <laughs> really? I get why you're trying to do this to Logan. You gotta snap now. But here I am. You made me spill my hot chocolate. <laughs> In Motherland, we don't get hot chocolate. And you take it from me now. That was shitty. I'm sorry. <laughs> but then Storm... She uh she stops it and she's got the hair thing going on that you guys love so much. Yeah, that thing needs a name. We'll call it. I guess we'll call it the hair thing. I just want to see him do that with his brush. I want to see what it looks like when he's doing that because it looks hard. I just want to see that costume come back. It's a cool costume. Yeah. You think this costume could survive the modern era? You don't think that this is too cheesecakey? Um. Starfire in the New 52. I know, but think about the backlash about that. You know what I mean? Like, people hate that. I love cheesecake, man. I do too. (laughs) But we're not everybody. So you mean the, the, the more vocal, the more vocal, um, proponents of, no, I think, I think it'll be fine. Because women are going to, are, are cosplaying with these costumes. Classic Storm and classic uh, Starfire and stuff. Not enough. <laughs> send, your, send your email to. <laughs> so, 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 so there, this is a good segment of women who just take some power from this stuff. From yeah. being able to, to just put it out there and say, I like looking sexy as well. I like the sexy image. I like being sexy, I want to look sexy, and this is a costume that allows me to do that, and I'm going to do that. Now we just need all the basement nerds to snap, step up and be able to handle that like adults. Yes, sir, and keep your fucking hands to yourself, dude. Yeah. What's up with that? Yeah. They're not there for you to paw on. Get off! The fuck? 
the fuck? It's wrong. It's just <laughs> there's no justification for that behavior, none whatsoever. But I like I like this costume, and I think it I think it looks good, and I don't mind if they if they stroll around in it these days. That's fine. Fine. Yeah, Storm. The only look I'm not looking for them to bring back, even though my Storm was the uh, the uh, Ramita Storm with the leather jacket and all that that she got from storm. Callisto. Yeah, they don't need to bring that back. But I would take this Storm. Well, I've seen this costume in cosplay. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, I've seen it. So on well, ladies of color as well. All right. Excellent. Yes. So as uh, as the X Men are fighting amongst each other and spilling their hot chocolate, poor Jenny <laughs> Banks gets a flat tire. Right. Okay. And, oh, look! Here comes a policeman. Oh, he, a policeman's coming to help her. This is great. So what did Chris Claremont and John Byrne teach me as a child? Don't trust the police. Right. And she's got freckles and everything. Yeah. So sad. Poor wee Scottish lass. I know. And, she just, and she's begging, oh, please, no. You know? Yeah. That's it, and then she's dead. That's so horrible. Just like that. Yeah, they, I don't know, they've, uh, I guess, Alan, do you remember a writer doing this more often than, than Claremont has, where he's just picking off random innocent bystanders? What issue was it where the, uh, the couple are, is the Christmas issue? Yeah. Oh yeah, the Nagari demon. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. later, isn't it? It's one forty-three, probably. Yeah, this is the last burn issue. Yeah, so I guess we're not there yet. But uh, but they did do it with the um, oh the oh, didn't get to the Wendigo. No, we didn't get to the Wendigo. Not yet. Well, Wendigo does it too. Yeah, snatches them up. But I will tell you this. I will tell you this. Plug plug. I got. My sensibility of storytelling of the of the walk on carry offs from <laughs> from this kind of is from this kind of storytelling right here. Yeah. So you're saying it's like crack, and once you've had it, you have to keep having it. I I put I, I put many of those examples in the power principle. I've got I got people because a lot of the cameos from the Kickstarter that get put in the book, people that are c- contributors, I put uh-huh. them in the book. Not all of them survive. Ooh. Not, Not all, all of them deserve to survive. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so I got it from this kind of storytelling because it, it, it made an impact on me. The death of innocence. That's what yeah. this, that's what this whole storyline is about. And we're For seeing sure. it literally and sort of figuratively with Jean Grey herself. Hmm. I do think this is the best story to lead into the Dark Phoenix saga. Yeah? Yeah. Because, like, it's the first time that you see Logan shaken up. Like, the team's at a really low point, kind of leading right into it. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Yes. You lose Banshee to her, him sticking around with Moira to help her cope with what happens. Yeah, Um, it does feel... It's weird because before we were talking about... How the team is starting to gel seriously, you know, in in the recent issues, and now, just like that, it's starting to fragment again. And just like the um, one seventeen issue of Uncanny, where we find out more about Xavier and how he met Emil Farouk, um, 
it's nice to get a more in-depth look into Moira and perhaps why she is the way that she is, why she started the Muir Island Research Facility, why her and Xavier have so much in common. Because I don't know, at this point, would Legion have been born? I, I think he would have been. Okay. Yeah. The little boy with Gabriel Haller over in Israel. Yeah. yeah. So I assume that that's like a, almost a shared bond between Xavier and Moira and why they got into the things that they did and her taking it into this research perspective, trying to find not so much a cure, but just a way to uh, help her son. And uh, Xavier goes the, I've got to make sure these people are accepted for out. Yeah. That's nice. That's good. I like that. Insight. Sean's smart. No. He's smart. Just a dude who likes comics. <laughs> so we get introduced to uh, Joe McTaggart. Who just right away looks like he's going to be trouble. Hard I have some sort of trouble. In the 70s. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Rocking that cardigan. I mean, he, he starts out okay, and then real quickly you learn, nope, nope, he's a douche. You should hate <laughs> him. I hope he dies. Yeah, won't, won't let Moira get a divorce because it looks too good for his political career. Having a Nobel Peace Prize winner on his arm. Mm. Bastard. <laughs> if only something terrible would happen to him. <laughs> they all seem to know that something terrible is going to happen whenever Proteus comes into the room or starts to speak to them on the. Because he looks, he's in Jenny Banks' body when he comes up, when he when he pushes up on Joe. Yeah. But Joe still says, "Oh my God!" Why would he say, "Oh my God"? It's just a. Just some blonde chick with white eyes and a hollow voice. <laughs> and a hollow face. <laughs> Whenever I see some blonde, freckled Scottish chick knocking on my door with white eyes and a gaunt face, I think prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh my God, were the last words he ever uttered. And I feel like the last words he ever uttered has been said a lot on this show because... Like we said before, we see a lot of people meeting their doom unexpectedly yeah. in the middle of a pleasant day. Curtis is MO. He doesn't give a damn. So he takes over Joe, and I think that we should uh, we should point out that on page 22, for Jer Jerry's sake, for his comic book crush, uh, page, issue number 127, page number 22, the bottom panel, your focal point is Gene... And uh, Scott, Scott is comforting Jean because she's just been uh, psychic blasted because she can feel what Proteus is doing to his father. But in the background, Moira's taken off her shirt. Er, oh. Polaris has taken off her shirt. Oh, oh shit. did I miss that? <laughs> I, I did. I completely missed that. You got to be on your toes when you're reading a burn book because the background is not something to ever be ignored. Yep. He's always pulling some kind of gag or something in the background of his books. She's getting into costumes. So she she's is. taking off that sweater. She's uh, she's lifting off her shirt and releasing Jerry's magnetic pole. <laughs> Gosh. And my so, magnetic pole always points north. <laughs> So Proteus is now at his peak strength because of how strong his father is. So he's now in this new body, and he's like, whoa. Whoa, got these whoa, bell bottoms, whoa, got this cardigan. Yeah. Time to take over the world. And you start to really see the 
reality altering powers go into play. Mm-hmm. Colossus comes after him. He turns Cyclops's optic blast into little red daisies. <laughs> or what I think are little red daisies. So just for a point of clarification, he's completely twisting the environment around everyone. Yep. He's really doing this, right? This isn't a perception-altering thing. No, he's actually real. like the Molecule Man would do or something. He's yes. twisting reality for real. Yes, because Proteus, the name Proteus is from Greek mythology, isn't it? Of a reality changing something or other. The, eject, the adjective Protean, it comes from the adjective Protean with the general meaning of versatile, mutable, capable of assuming many forms. Oh, I like it. So he's doing that to... To reality. X-Men! So as he's ripping apart reality in issue number 128, there's a panel on page 3 where he like turns a building into bees. And when yes. I was rereading this issue, it made me think of that Oprah gift. <laughs> GIF. Which I you know how she always does those fucking, like, these are my favorite things, and oh, she yeah. gives a bunch of screaming white ladies a bunch of bullshit that they don't <laughs> actually need? You know what I'm talking about. There's a gif that, like, she opens this box, and she's doing her Oprah dance, but she unleashes bees. So it's all these fucking white ladies fucking screaming because they're all getting attacked by bees. It's a great gif. And you can't tell the difference if they're excited or if they're being yeah. attacked by bees. Oh, my God. Every time one of those episodes used to air, I would just go off for days. Those people don't need any of that crap. They don't. You do. No. You do. You no. do. You need the best loofah in the world. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, Jerry, it's the best loofah in the world! <laughs> <laughs> now you have to come to C2E2 just to meet Oprah in her town. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll pack myself in a Jerry's suitcase. Nice. So in addition to Proteus being able to just end someone by getting close enough to enter their body uh, in a sigh way, not in a, not in a sexual way, but... <laughs> well, he did at least once. That's why... Oh, no, that's not Proteus. That's his father. Yeah, that's his father. I got confused between the two. The sins of the father being... Whatever in the sun. Um, these reality bending powers also seem to be equally dangerous. He encases Storm in amber, which, uh, I, you know, I, unless I was some kind of prehistoric mammal or something, I can't even imagine what that would be like. Yeah. You wouldn't like it as a prehistoric mammal, I bet. I would not. He opens up the floor underneath Banshee, swallows him. But only after Turns Banshee me. deals a nice shot to the shoulder with yeah. his lock. She's like, I'm not fucking around. I'm killing her husband. <laughs> if there's anybody on the planet that's got an easier time shooting this guy, I don't know who it is. But yeah, I I still don't know exactly how this isn't the end for Sean as he plummets to the bottom of this, this hole in the ground and lands. I don't know how far he falls, but it's far. They're resilient. But Nightcrawler manages to drop down and rescue him before they can close the hole. Because he's good that way. Hell yeah, he is. He's the best. He's the best there is at swashbuckling. Even when the when the hole closed up and he couldn't see his way up or down or around or out, he still he just he just teleported. He's like, oh, I got to get the fuck up out of here. <laughs> I don't care where I wind up. I'm not staying here. And bamps. I like that they always take the time with Kurt to do that. Like 
he's the guy where where wherever bravery happens, they they like to show the thought process of what it takes to be courageous. You know, like I know I'm about to die if I do this, but I got to do it anyway to save Sean. You know, they always he always has that internal monologue. Yeah. And then uh, near the end of the episode or issue, sorry, near the end of the issue. Uh, we get to see Wolverine cut loose on panel for the first time as he takes a giant chunk out of the side of Moira's husband slash Proteus. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the first real on panel violent cut on a human being. And according to John Byrne, the reason they could get away with it is because technically he's already dead. Yeah. Ah. All right. So the comics code probably would not have allowed that if he had been a living person. And they kind of skate around it when, whenever there's violence after this on a living person. They, they have ways of implying the violence without actually showing it like that so graphically. Havoc and Cyclops go after him. Like, he's taking a beating, so he's definitely wearing the body thin, which is their plan, was to tire out the Joe McTaggart body. And then, uh... A very creepy Joe McTaggart goes after Moira and Colossus runs up and not even in his armored form just backhand slaps Joe McTaggart into a wall which completely disintegrates the body which is where we get to the uh, stuff Jerry was talking about where he just become Proteus just becomes pure energy pure energy and I believe as Proteus is like lashing out at Colossus ripping his costume off that it's the first time we see an early interpretation of the 80s Colossus costume, where he's just wearing the boots and the underwear. Yeah. It's not underwear! It's on the outside! <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> powerful, powerful trunks. Yes, showing off the, the, the gig. So if I walk around in just my underwear outside, I can say it's on the outside? Yeah. Yes. Because, I, I, I mean, I do that. I just wanted the excuse. You just when you go out to get the paper in the morning, just look at your neighbors and be like, these are my powerful, powerful trunks. <laughs> when yeah. I go steal my neighbor's paper? Yes. <laughs> well, then, then you're in your underwear. If you're doing something wrong in your trunks, then they're, then they're underwear. Yeah. You're Walter White. But if you're doing heroic <laughs> stuff, you're Colossus. That's really trunks. all I want to be. If you're jamming your arms into pure energy, pure energy, because they're made of metal, to finally dispel Proteus, you're a hero. If you're out there screaming at Finn to get back in the house, you're a jackass. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I'm kind of interested in the fact that he, Colossus has blue leggings because they're being stripped off here, but they always disappear when he turns into metal. Yeah. What's up yeah. with that? That is weird. Best not to ask those kind of questions. Yeah, comic books. <laughs> comic books, man. Are they, now, do they have unstable molecule costumes? Is that right? Costumes? I'm well, sure. uh, evidently not. They're ripped up and shredded. Yeah, they haven't, been hanging, they haven't been hanging out with the Fantastic Four enough yet. Yeah, they're still mutants. They're not friends with the That's superhero right. community at large. That's yeah. right. Not until X-Men versus Fantastic Four, which we will be spending some time on at some point because I love that series, that miniseries. You remember that one, Alan? Yes. When after the, the post-Mutant uh, Massacre... Kitty Pride trapped in her phased form. Mm-hmm. That used to make me... I, I used to experience so much anxiety when they did that to her. They did that in Excalibur. Um, 
and then they did it in during this mutant massacre thing, and then they did it um, in Astonishing. Yeah, when he, she was in the bullet, and after yeah. they finally got her out of the bullet, and I kept it's always it always feels like issue after issue, it's going to be like, okay, are they going to really get rid of her? Is she just going to discorporate into mist forever? And then wouldn't that be a horrible way to go? Yeah. Just drift on the wind and then you're just gone. I miss the sense of danger that I had as a child reader. You know, I don't have it anymore. And it's not just with comics because I'm jaded about comics or anything. It's with anything, television, movies, that sense of danger isn't there. You know, it's like a joke if somebody dies now. I don't I don't have the emotional attachment. Not that I don't care about the characters, but uh, it doesn't affect me as deeply. It's just entertainment now. You know, I don't know how to recapture that anymore. Indie books. That's where <laughs> you get it. You get it from indie books. Because those characters are not trademarked and they're not property that needs to continue to make shareholders' money forever. So, Excellent point. Those characters, if they die, they might really be gone in an indie book. Yeah. Yep. Not that we would support anybody going to read an indie book on this podcast. <laughs> yes, we would. The Power Principle. com. Yeah. That's the only one I won't bleep out. All the others get bleeped out. So that ends the Proteus arc. Yeah, I think two hours is about what we needed to spend on that. <laughs> All right, so we have about five minutes to cover uh, that stupid Kitty Pry and that stupid Dazzler. I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to to an episode of for just uh, Proteus and um, and you and you having me back sometime to do Kitty Pry because that's so important. It's so cool. I want you to come back for that X Men Fantastic Four miniseries because I've never read it. Cool. It's good. They had that in uh, X-Men vs. Avengers was either at the... No, it was before, because that happened right around issue 200 okay. when they had the trial of Magneto. And that was the first one where I was like, oh man, the X-Men might really be in trouble. <laughs> They're in trouble with the law. The Avengers have made them enemies now. That can't be good. It all worked out. Fortunately. <laughs> For a time. So now we are into Uncanny X-Men 129, the first part of the Dark Phoenix saga. God spare the child. We're going to call it that because it's the first issue in the Dark Phoenix uh, trade paperback. But in reality, the Dark Phoenix saga goes way back, all the way back to that, uh, what was that guy's name? Warhawk. That Warhawk issue, 107? Editor's note. Wrong again, Jerry. It was X-Men number 110. Oh, the guy that looked like Colossus without the band. Yes. Yeah. That guy, it turns out, worked for the Hellfire Club. And they inserted him into the mansion so that he could tap into Cerebro and all their files. As we will find out very soon. Oh. <laughs> you said inserted. <laughs> inserted. So, uh, so yeah, this is, again, just like Proteus, this is another storyline that has been building and building and building forever, and finally is going to pay off on the page. And it's a, a little bit of a, a goodbye right at the beginning, um, 
teams sort of splitting up. The people that were on Muir Island decide they're all going to stay there. And everybody else is going to head home. Yeah, Banshee decides to stay. Spend some time with Moira. Help her grieve. And he's not... I mean, honestly, he's really not much help to them without his powers. So it makes sense for him to stay. This is where he wants to be anyway. You know, there's nothing pulling him away now. He wants to sleep in Mars' bed. Let's get it. You know what's up. That's right. And, and keep the cosmonaut suit on. <laughs> yeah, she's still, does she? No, no, no. She's got her big fluffy turtleneck. And there's her plaid. She's wearing the plaid skirt for you now. Booyah. There you go. But then again, so is Lorna. So she's know. just trying to fit in, man. And when the, okay. uh, when the X-Men fly back to the mansion and they realize that there's an intruder, so they burst in, who do they see but Professor Xavier with a plaid blanket. Plaid blanket. Just like Sean. Yep. Are you warm, buddy? I'm all right. Are you warm? So what seems like it's going to be a, a great, happy reunion with Professor X quickly turns sour. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Turns out, while the X-Men have moved on, Professor X has not. He wants to know uh, where they're at in their training, and so he throws them in the danger room and treats them like the new mutants that are about to show up on the scene pretty soon. Um, like they're kids that don't know what they're doing, and he's putting them through their paces, and Wolverine's had enough. Bam! He slams open the door. Big sick door. Yeah. Storms out. Tells Scott to tell Professor X to eat a bowl of dicks. He's done. done. And before the situation can come to a head, they're called away on a mission because two new mutants have been discovered and they need to split up and investigate them. So uh, the first team of Storm... Wolverine, Colossus, and Professor X are sent to Chicago, Illinois, home of C2E2. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) To uh, go meet this young mutant, Catherine Pride, who they know nothing about other than that she's a mutant. And neither neither of us, none of us knew anything about her either. It was so exciting! It was so exciting to meet a new mutant, you people. I wish you knew. Why don't you tell us, like, as a reader... um, the only real new mutants that you had been introduced to at this point were the guys that were on the roster, right? I mean, there there weren't new mutants jumping out of the woodwork nope. every five minutes like there were in the 90s and, and Not the 2000s. At all. Not at all. The only new mutants that we met were the ones that were evil and trying to kill people. Yeah. This was a this was a new mutant who was an innocent girl who... And, and not only that, but we didn't even know what she did when yeah. we met her. Just somebody, and it was it was so awesome. Just a a new character, a new power set, a new just a new everything, just new newness. And you know, now it, we get it a lot. We've we've seen them try with um, with Hope's cast, and we've seen it with the uh, the new mutant series that they had, uh, the new that turned into New X Men or whatever it was, and and. Uh, and those guys just never seem to to really stick. You know, some of them are sticking in Wolverine and the X-Men. But Kitty was kind of a new thing. And uh, she really sticks. Like, she becomes a mainstay. And a leader, eventually. You know, in a way that we don't see now, for some reason. 
I don't know if it's there's no patience for new characters or, if, you know, once somebody makes a creation and a new writer comes on, they want their own characters, so they set those aside or whatever. But this is Kitty's something really different. Yeah, well, they, I think they took their time to give her her give us her character. I think that's the difference. I think with Kitty, they took their time. With the New Mutant kids, they took their time. I even think with the Generation X kids, they took their time. Like, they were revealed slowly, mm-hmm. you know. And there's now it's a let's throw a new number one out there with a whole group of new people, you yeah. know. And, like, it's almost forced. Where this was just the natural progression. Yeah, I like that they're just sliding one more character in. You know, it's not, we're going to kill off the old team and replace them with a completely new cast, half which suck, the other mm-hmm. half of which shoot gold balls out of their body or whatever the hell, I don't know. But, there we go. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's just, it's one character, and it, okay, in this case, two. Dazzler's there, too. She doesn't stick around, though. Um, yeah, whatever happened to that character? Where'd she go? <laughs> right now, we're hoping to find out, right? She's, uh, they're Am starting I... to answer the mystery of what happened to Dazzler. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm like an issue behind, so maybe it's already been officially answered. But uh, we're starting to find out what Mystique did with her when she replaced her. That mutant traitor, Allison Blair. Yep. But uh, so we'll get to to Dazzler in the next issue. But Kitty Pride, you know, thirteen. They keep saying she's thirteen and a half. Thirteen and a half. Mm-hmm. But she's a 13-and-a-half-year-old Jewish girl living in Chicago with her parents, who are obviously miserable together. You don't see them arguing on panel, but she makes reference to the fact that she thinks they're going to split and that they're looking to send her away to school, so it must be really bad. Yep. And that old bitch is first at her house. (laughs) Emma Frost. Oh, man. The worst. And the, in the episode where we were talking about Astonishing X-Men, uh, when we were talking to Anthony, he was saying he didn't really have the connection to the older stories that we do. But here's where the animosity between Kitty and Emma really begins. Damn right. From the very first instant she lays eyes on her, she says she looks like I'm something delicious to eat. See? Exactly. Because Emma is there to pounce just to acquire her. She cares not a whit about Kitty. She just wants to acquire her for her funky little academy. Power monger little... I can't. I, I can't. No, I, I'm telling you, because even when when, uh, when Emma storms off and leaves the house, she's walking past the X-Men as they're walking up, and Wolverine says, nice looking frail. Something about her scent, though, raises the hackles on my neck. And I'm like, so not only... like. Does Wolverine like, oh, she's all right looking, but she smells like a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and who and who goes to, tell me please, who goes to a family's house to recruit for their school as the headmistress with all that leg showing? Oh, yeah. All the way up to the thigh. I would have gone to a boarding school if that had happened, though. Hey, man, she's got to get the dad on her side. True. And this is a guy who's he's married with a thirteen and a half year old, so this guy has not had sex in thirteen and a half years. <laughs> so who does that? Smart oh. people. That's who. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that um that Storm's civilian clothes in this resemble like a outfit that almost matches her costume. You know that I yeah. think that answers the question that Jerry raised up a little bit earlier, though, unstable molecules. I think these are unstable molecules because 
they flare out and turns into her costume. I don't know. Last night I watched. Uh, we're going to get into Sean's personality here for a minute. Okay. I watched a Project Runway Under the Gun episode yesterday, which was Marvel themed. Oh, nice! Is Project Runway still on? Shut yeah. Did it real? Yeah. Oh, and shit. so they had to do. Um, the designers had to do costumes based on. Um, they got to choose superheroes. Uh-huh. And I was actually disappointed because not enough of the designers, like, based color schemes off. They were inspired. Like, somebody did one off of Gamora that looks actually pretty close to, like, what the costume would look like. But this is what that made me think of when I just saw the panel. Was oh, cool. Like, oh, that would have won. <laughs> not that I watched Project Runway. No. Moving on. <laughs> I will admit I watched the first three or four seasons with my wife. Back when it was on, uh, was it Bravo? It's still on Bravo. Is it? Mm-hmm. Who knew? So, um, this, this whole thing that, while Professor X is talking business with the grown-ups, he sends Kitty Pride to the malt shop with the X-Men. And, um, this is what I'm talking about with the whole pay attention to the background. Yeah. Yes. This is, I mean, this is the 70s, man. They're, they're in a malt shop. <laughs> And in the background, Wolverine has found the newsstand. And with Colossus standing looking over his shoulder, he's flipping through the pages of Hustler and Penthouse. Yes, he is. I love the looks on their face. In the first panel where Wolverine's looking at the Hustler, he's got, like, this smirk, like, been there, done that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And Logan has, er, and Peter has this look on his face of just like, oh my god, I've never seen anything like this. Which is complete horseshit, because he's been to the Savage Land and seen their secret island. I don't know, man. This is true, right? He made a baby. But yeah, so this is, I mean, this is Peter to me. You know, this look, this is where the the innocent image... True, but Hustler, man... Uh, Yeah, I guess that could be more funny than the Savage Land. When I found the woods porn back in my day... Yes. Because every kid... Found a box of porn in the woods. Yep. So yeah, I'd, it's a wonder I even like girls uh, after being shown that. I still think it's debatable, but there is just wonderful acting going on through in in a couple panels there in the background, which eventually becomes the the foreground because you see the kind of the shop owner looking over at Wolverine like, "Oh, give me a fucking break! Would you please just buy it if you're yeah, going to look at it?" This poor guy is just having a rough day, and Wolverine's like, "You know what?" I'm all hopped up on looking at pages of Hustler. I'm going to beat this old man's ass. <laughs> this poor old balding guy with his bow tie undone. And I also love the fact that Wolverine is wearing a beige version of Wonder Man's costume. <laughs> it's oh, awesome with the W pockets all over the place. That's the style, dude. Where, where were you at in the 80s? That's the, that's the cut. I never got one of those, and that's why it took me so long to get laid. I'm sure there's a young picture of you out there in a suit like that, maybe for a communion or something. I will, next Throwback Thursday, I'll give you my best shot. We'll see what <laughs> okay. I can come up with. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we see uh, Aurora and Kitty's bond form almost instantly here. and um, The shop owner is saved by a timely intrusion by... Uh, are these mandroids still? I guess these are not mandroids, but they're mandroid-esque. They're the Knights of Hellfire. The Knights of Hellfire. I think that was the name of one of the ish, one of the issues. Or yeah, let's see. 
we'll come across the. the I always, um, I always enjoyed when they went after robot guys, though, because it meant they could cut loose. Like that was yeah. always like when I was a kid, I was like, yeah, we're gonna see some damage done. Yeah, but if they cut loose because they're in armor and they know they're not really hurting them. Yeah. But in the end, it doesn't really work out for these robots so great. Uh, so they're in their cybernetic armors or whatever, and um, at first they're really handing it to the X-Men, but Wolverine figures out that if they switch opponents, each of these specialized armors won't be able to handle them. So they quickly mop the floor with these poor pink-armored guys. And they think they've won, but then the White Queen shows up. Oh, bitch. Right? Yeah, but man, oh man, does she know how to make an entrance. This is the same Emma Frost that... Oh, don't get me started, please. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I don't care about any of the redemption issues. I don't care about her being all soft and pink on the patio, looking over the vistas, (laughs) wondering about her life. I don't give a shit. If she's with Cyclops, not with Cyclops, I don't care whose team she's on. I don't care what she's done. I don't care about any of that stuff. This right here is Emma Frost for me. This is Emma Frost. You're speaking my language, buddy. That is exactly how I feel. I can't disassociate, no matter how much good she's done later on or that they try to say that she's done, she'll always be this corset-wearing crazy-ass motherfucker who knocks out the X-Men and puts them in cages. Yeah, well, I mean, Frost is a is a direct. Her name is a representation of her personality. She's frosty, and doesn't care about anything. But I buy into the redemption. I think she's redeemed. But the caveat: if they ever flip the switch and send her back, and it looks like it's for good, it won't surprise me. Yeah, and it, I don't think it'd be outside of her character. But I think, I think I will. Uh, I'll buy into it for now. Especially after reading those astonishing issues. Yeah. As long as the X-Men trust her, I guess I can give her a pass. But hey. I, exactly what you said is right. If, if, if she switches back, I will not be, I won't be, I'll be, I'll be the king of I told you so's. Yeah, <laughs> right. But you don't ever have to apologize for hating her guts because she certainly earns it. Oh, yeah. But, uh, they bring the X-Men on the ship, but they're not really concerned with Kitty. So luckily she uh, phases into the plane and that's where that issue ends. She learns how, she learns how to do it yeah. uh, purposefully. That, see, that's the, ex- that was the excitement of this, that we first see her use her power. We don't know what happened. She was upstairs in her bedroom. She's having a headache. All of a sudden she's downstairs and she's like, well, I don't know how I got here and I'm embarrassed. She runs back upstairs. Next time you see her use her power, she, She's in a panic and she kicks herself backwards and she goes through the wall. It's like, oh, that's what she did, I guess, in her house. She went through the floor. And now here it's like, okay, let me get my shit together because these these cool people that I just met are in trouble. Let me figure out what to do here. And then she does it. That is so exciting. Can I interject something here? I agree with everything you just said, but listening to you say it, I got goosebumps when you talked about her falling through the floor because it reminded me of her phasing orgasm in Astonishing yeah. that we just talked about, yes. which oh. is a direct callback to the yes. first time her power manifests. Yes. And how yes. fucking cool is that? It's very fucking cool because Joss Whedon, who wrote those issues of Kitty doing that, read these these issues right here, and he has said as much. 
which is the reason why Buffy exists in the world because of Kitty Pride right here. So when I was reading these pages off the spinner rack, so was Joss Whedon in whatever part of the world he was in, getting the same kind of inspiration. And then he made that scene in Astonishing purposefully, just like you said, purposefully because of what we're reading right here. So I guess my question is, should we infer that the first manifestation was also a sexual one? No. Okay, I'm cutting that out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Kitty Pryde, I know she's been off limits, and I really believe in that because I think it's gross, but... You can't cut that out. That that joke just had to be said, but I am cutting the shit out of that. So then, next issue. Oh yeah, so Kitty Pride jumps into the ship and she's following them. She's in way over her head. Yeah. We're, we're introduced to what happened to the second team of X-Men going after the second mutant that appeared. And that team is Cyclops, Gene, and Nightcrawler. Also known as Sean's Wet Dream. Yeah. Best three-way ever. Hell yeah! <laughs> I mean, because Nightcrawler with the image inducer could be Sean. Think about it. Sean's kind of built like Nightcrawler. Yeah. He slouches like Nightcrawler. Do I? Am I a sloucher? You know, I no, you're not at all. I just I'm just Have you never noticed the the birthmark bruise, the shadows on my face? Oh, I assumed you earned that in combat. Nope. It's Uh, a birthmark. So I recently heard someone say that they thought that when Nightcrawler ended up in Excalibur and Alan Davis was drawing them, they liked that Nightcrawler better because he wasn't slouching anymore. What do you think about that statement? Like how uh, the more upright Nightcrawler. No, I like I like the slouching Nightcrawler. I like I like the fact that he was he was in his body language was kind of like a creature of the night. Yeah, me too. It too, it might be. Um, you could almost take it though, due to the time frame of that, as though like a natural progression. Like here, he's still struggling with the fact that he looks different. Uh-huh. And maybe by the time that he's in Excalibur, like he's a little bit more comfortable with himself and confident, and so he's able to kind of. So you think it's it. like a really tall person that slouches because they feel like they stand out because they're too tall, like yeah. that kind of. Like he's trying to Ooh, self-consciously maybe it's psychology from Jerry. Yeah, from Sean. I'm just restating what he just the knowledge he dropped. Sean's the smart one. No. You're, you're a chemist. I'm the one that just falls into situations. I cook meth. It's not a chemist. Oh <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Everybody always asks me that. You mean you cook meth? I couldn't if I wanted to. I don't know how. So, so yeah, we're this this team is going to find the new, the other new mutant, heretofore unidentified. They're walking into this creepy build of this warehouse in a bad part of town. Hey, hey now. Hey. <laughs> Calm hey. down with that. This is the this 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 is the lower east side, buddy. This, this is this is where you get your party on. That's right. Well this is pre gentrification, which I we all know Alan is not a fan of. Yeah, gentrification. Because I can't afford this That's shit. Right. People coming up in here jacking off everything up. Shit. <laughs> I can't afford what they're doing. That's right. Keep it party central. Do you live on the Lower East Side? No, I live in Brooklyn. Okay, I thought so. I'm rooming. I'm rooming. So I didn't. I didn't. I was hoping I wasn't offending your home. <laughs> well, if you if you come in after New York, you offended my home. So I'm just saying. Right. I'm just, saying. I'm just quoting what's in the book. 
I mean, they, they're painting a picture of a not very pleasant place. No, they're not. They're painting a picture of a rave yeah. of, of, of counterculture of, right. of, um, of um of the party atmosphere, what what's going on in this in these streets? Jerry, There's the cultural difference because I'm Jerry's the straight laced white guy yeah. that's never done anything scary or fun, Jerry's and I'm just like a that looks shirt cyclops. I am. I swear to God, I am, man. Like <laughs> reading that, I just felt unsafe for them the whole time. And I grew up in Detroit, man. I like I've I've seen bad neighborhoods. But you should know. I should, but my re- reaction to those places was to not go anywhere near them. Well, okay, fine. It doesn't mean I'm smart. You're smart enough to cook meth. <laughs> you would have been able to draw some of those Proteus panels if you had hung out in the right neighborhoods and yeah. bought the right things. I probably would have. Probably would have. The Hellfire Club soldiers are in a van outside this place, monitoring what's going on. Oh, hey, hey, before, I'm sorry, I told you to go and then I... I'm interrupting, but did you notice the X pl- the the plate on the uh, the Rolls Royce that they're rolling to town? Real in a minute. It's it's Chaz X One. <laughs> just there you go. Just Professor X go by Chaz with his pals. That's one of those things where he like really hopes that's a nickname that catches on. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, it's cool, guys. You can call me Chaz. See, it's on my license plate. <laughs> <laughs> And Wolverine it. refuses. Wolverine just used to call him Chuck. So then we uh, cut over to the Hellfire Club. They got Xavier in an electro-sleep sedation. They've got the rest of the X-Men in their underwear. Now that is underwear, I yes. will grant you. Yeah, they is. took the costumes off. But can I point out a thing to you? Point. They are not just any underwear with a Y front. My X-Men are classy, okay? Yep. They are wearing European briefs. Thank you very much. <laughs> With colors. Wolverine is sporting a black pair of briefs. Thank you very much. And you should know that it is quite fetching in some some locations in the world. It okay. is. It's fetching in my basement. You have the cages too? Oh, if only. If he did, I'd babysit more often. (laughs) Now, I want to point out that Storm is not in her underwear. She's in her costume. Why? Because she's probably not wearing any underwear. Oh! Oh! Yes! Aurora for the win! Go for it! Help yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I want to see more cosplay like this here. They... I see enough Emma Frosts walking around in their bustiers and in their panties. If you, Let's if have I, some of this uh, X-Men under Hellfire prison. If I, were coming to C2E2, if I were coming to C2E2, I'd come as Colossus and, uh, or Nightcrawler in European brief. If I could hey. just get some muscle definition, I could pull off a very wooly Wolverine. You should come as Professor Xavier in European briefs. Uh, maybe I will. Wheel yourself around the... You know how much you hate taking people taking up aisles with their cosplay. That's right. I find the biggest wheelchair so I can. Biggest wheelchair you can, and all nude except for your briefs. Naked is not a costume, Sean. Well, this is do it. Yeah. Do it this way. Bring cages with you. <laughs> yeah, we could get you an age on wheels. Yeah, push you around, and have an Emma Frost. All, all right, that's Frost enough of the front. fantasy, guys. It's not happening. It's not happening. Well, fine. <laughs> so Kitty shows up. She finally pops her head out of the shadows and dashes over to Storm, 
who doesn't have any of her lockpicks left because they've stolen all those, but they did not find the hidden tag in her uniform that has the, conveniently, the number to the, the car phone on the Rolls Royce, which she slips to Kitty, and Kitty manages to escape the Hellfire guards who are chasing her. How? How, Jerry? How does she escape, Jerry? She dives right through the floor after leading them into a dead-end corner away from the doors. That's so fucking cool, dude! (laughs) She's got no idea what she's doing, but she's already the best X-Men. That is so... I was just so... That's just so thrilling. It's like, wow, she's got she's got more control. She even knows how to dive through the floor now. Oh! She's gonna save them all. She's awesome. I... In my own mind, I do not give her enough credit. Yeah, I don't think anybody does. I, yeah, she's definitely underestimated, but she's awesome, dude. Thirteen she's and awesome. a half. Thirteen and a half, and she's she's putting her life on the line. She's dealing with new powers. She's learning how to use it. it, it oh, it's just awesome. Her personality is a big part of what makes her the great character she is. But if she was more cutthroat, like Wolverine, she could be one of the scariest heroes or villains in the Marvel Universe. Which we will be talking about when we get to the magic four-issue miniseries, which Sean is going to fucking love. Still got to buy issue number three. <laughs> so then we cut over to uh, Gene back in that seedy club that Jerry would never go to because he hates fun. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, runs into Gene. Spoiler. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh. Shit. Jason Wingard runs, runs into, into Jean. Jean. And she, uh, he has one on her. Yep. He, he, uh, he's been setting her up to this point where they, they've been falling in love, going on hunts. They were traveling by boat to the United States where they were going to marry, and now they're in the United States. And he flashes her to their wedding day. Yeah. And she okay. lustily engages in her wedding ceremony. And he reveals her new outfit and her new name, the Black Queen. And she's she's dressed in a, a black version of Emma's oh ho outfit. Oh ho! <laughs> yep. She's got a whip. She's yeah. got a mole. Does she? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that little heart shaped mole. Oh, but What's up with that? but this time it's spade. Yeah. Before oh it was. Oh my god, guys! Awesome. The last I never one, noticed that. The last one it was a heart, and now it's a speed. Oh my god! That is so cool. Wow, I never noticed that. And then uh, Cyclops gets quickly. Uh, he's freaked out by the fact that she's kissing Jason Weingard, but then all of a sudden Bootsy Collins comes out, and he completely ignores <laughs> it. <laughs> You know that he has the ability to compartmentalize things. It's true. But on the inside... He's freaking out. It's just like mom and dad dying all over again. He's coming apart at the seams. So this is how we're introduced to Dazzler. It's funny that Bootsy Collins is the one that's doing this because Dazzler is a flashlight. No? Yeah. Flashlight. So uh, here we're introduced to the other new mutant, Allison Blair, Dazzler. And um, she is a disco singer in roller skates and a semi-superheroine 
costume. Um, Silver jumpsuit. And uh, she has the ability to absorb sound and turn it into light, which is kind of a really cool superhero yeah. power. It didn't seem to really... I mean, to me, at this stage, she's a lot like Jubilee, where I don't know that there's a ton of practical use for it, but she does have the ability to dazzle people and overwhelm their their senses to the point where they're unconscious, which can be useful, and it, it does prove useful in the story. But it turns out that she is the product of corporate wanting to do a, a cross-media promotional thing, um, sort of like... Um, that that band Archie back in the 50s or 60s or whatever where they were going yeah right exactly they were going to do uh, an album honey, honey. there was going to be a movie or a TV special or something and it was going to be in comics it was all going to be tied together so some VP came up with this idea handed it to Tom DeFalco and John Romita Jr. to come up with a, a character design and, and this is what they came up with and uh, and so Jim Shooter said, okay, we have to figure out a way to get her started. Claremont and Burn, your title's hot. She's going in your book. And they were like, what the fuck, dude? But they didn't have a choice, so they had to stick her in, and they weren't happy about it. But I think they did a really good job. Uh, you know, just as a quick debut, she shows up. She has no interest in joining the team. So she's destined for her own book in a couple of years. And the the TV deal and the record and all that has kind of a checkered history you know that didn't pan out the way they wanted it to and that whole story is on jim shooter's blog if you want to read about it but that's why she shows up here another interesting fact about her when she does get her own comic in 1979 it is the first direct market only issue that marvel releases and direct market uh the x-men were selling about 30 or forty thousand a month which would be not that great even by today's standards but they also had newsstand sales. Who knows what those were? Dazzler, in direct market only, sold f- over 420,000 copies. Oh, wow. Dang. So if you ever wonder why, even though it was a shitty issue, it's not worth anything, it's because there's a half million copies half yeah out there. Wow. It's nuts. So, yeah, yeah, yeah there you go. Dazzler. That's why she's here. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I have no problem with the character whatsoever. I especially liked when she came back in the 200s. You know, and she's yeah, part of the too. Outback team. Like, I, I like the outfit. I liked the connection to the Sylvester. Yeah. Dazzler. Yeah, me too. So, uh, while they're being dazzled by Dazzler, <laughs> outside, Nightcrawler's hanging out because he can't go into the club. He'd have oh, fit in. Let's though. not even get into it, man. Nightclub, yeah. <laughs> he would have fit in, though. He would have. If anybody wondered, of the group was going to fit in, until Dazzler started playing. Like, if they had seen the two people that walked into the club in front of them before they sent Nightcrawler away, they probably would have sent him in instead. Yeah. Because his costume fits him better than theirs does. So the <laughs> uh, phone starts ringing in the Rolls Royce, and he picks it up. Uh, doesn't realize who it is, but he knows, you know, <coughs> he's like, slow down, who captured the X-Men, where are they being held? And uh, one of the uh, Mandroid people rips open the door. Nightcrawler teleports out. They wind up uh, tussling with him. It cuts into... Two more of the Mandroid characters busting in on Dazzler's performance. And then Nightcrawler and the other one crash in through the ceiling, which is freaking sweet. And that's how you while make this entrance. is going on, Phoenix just transforms Cyclops' sweet turtleneck and blazer look. <laughs> <laughs> into his big, costume. big collar. Yep. 
And he's like, she did it again. She's so powerful. Yeah, it's start. They're really. I don't know, man. Alan, you tell me. It, it's a long time ago, but you tell me your first impression reading this because my impressions are colored on thirty years of reading the X Men now. So, like, as as a first time reader of this story, are you creeped out by Phoenix yet? Have they yes, laid that? I was that getting color? it. Yeah, yeah, I was getting it because the the again the first introduction I had to any of the X Men was after they were fished out of Jamaica Bay. Yeah. So, so I got the impression that they cared dearly for Jean and that she was changing before their eyes into something that was scary to them. So if they were scared, I was scared. Right. So every time they, so every time something like this happened and Scott saying there may be no limit to her power, I'm like, Oh, oh, okay. Oh shit. What, <laughs> what's up? Yeah. Where are we going? I don't think Luckily, anyone's going to like where we're going. As they're getting taken down, Dazzler. You know, unleashes her power and it distracts one of them, giving uh, Phoenix enough time to help Cyclops out so he's able to optic blast him. This is a really good, fun fight scene in a club. Yeah. Probably music still playing. <laughs> yeah. People are running into the streets. <laughs> Pandemonium. And there's that, that ink work again for um, what Terry Austin is doing to just the effects, the light effects. Yes. By making an absence in all that, um, in all those lines. Probably did it with whiteout, I'm sure, but it, it's to some great effect. And then the colorist comes along and, and gives it that, that gradation, that striation. It's very, I love it. That's what I'm saying. I love you. it. Um, so they take off with Dazzler and Cyclops is like, I don't really know what's going on. There's all this craziness happening. You're going to have to come with us to stay safe. And they uh, head into the Rolls Royce. And as they're driving away, uh, Rubble is raining down on the car because there's been an explosion in the top of the building, which turns out it was these Knights of Hellfire's armor exploding because they failed, which was also the fate of the, the guys at the malt shop. Yeah. Uh, it turns out Miss Frost does not put up with failure. And if you screw up, you're dead. Oh, bitch. <laughs> and as they're uh, as they're driving by, Scott notices that the man standing on the corner is the same man that Gene kissed. And uh, I believe this is the second time that this has happened, where uh, you see the shadow in the background and it doesn't match up with uh, what Jason Weingard actually looks like. That's right. Tell more telegraph. Good stuff. Yep. Such good storytelling. So then we're on to issue one thirty one. Where my dear kitty is running for her life. Hence the title, Run for Your Life. <laughs> More telegraph. So she finds her limits. Kitty Kitty has been brave and she's been good. She's used her powers to excellent effect. But now she's getting uh, a little bit too much pressure on her and, and her her focus is, is being scrambled and she falls before the, the headlights and Hurts her arm and can't get up and all dirty and she's about to get run the fuck over. <laughs> but luckily, Jean's there to uh, completely murder two health club guys. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out it's at least three because I saw there's one guy. There's in the a back shadow in the too. <laughs> he might have made it if he was buckled up. <laughs> yeah. See. Yep. But back in those back in those days. There weren't seatbelts in the back of the car, so that guy's fucked too. That's right. You were lucky if you had a rope or something to hold on to. 
Yep. So why worry about that planet around that uh, sun yeah. in the future? She's <laughs> already started the murder spree here. That's right. And it's getting easier and easier for her. She just smashes that car that's coming at her at 60 miles an hour. Changes her costume again with just the thought. Yeah, so she doesn't scare Kitty. Which is, this is really creepy. Because she's being really creepy leading up to this. Yeah. But they send her in because she's not creepy looking. It's like she could do anything at this point, you know? Like, she's starting to lose it a little bit. and But they send her in anyway because she doesn't look scary. It's like sending the axe murderer in to go quiet the screaming child in, in the nursery. Yeah. I don't know, man. See, that's that's what happens when you judge by appearances. That's right. Lesson. Yeah. That's one to grow on, kids. That is one to grow on. And knowing is half the battle. So then we've got uh, Kitty basically telling everybody the story about what happened to Cyclops and Jean. And they've uh, got, I guess those two Hellfire Club guards didn't die in that horrific car accident. Because they're <laughs> sitting in the plane right there with them. And Jean, Jean is able to read their minds. And it's actually a pretty cool panel at the bottom of the page where like, you see Jean's face half blended with the Hellfire Club guard. And the uh, the images that she's seen of like the X-Men in the cages... And Emma and the Hellfire Club sitting at their table are all kind of done in a blue tone. Yeah. I just thought it was a cool effect. Mm-hmm. I, you know, th- this whole sequence really had me thinking because you got to wonder about the physical state of the guards. I mean, they're probably alive at this point. Okay, but here's the... Because they're even, speaking. But this is the messed up part, okay? Even, let's just say that one of them is dead. Gene's powerful enough at this point because they figure that they're going to go up to the Hellfire Club. So Gene is now powerful enough to be sitting in the back seat of their car, tied up, okay, gag over her mouth, telepathically controlling the Hellfire Club guard. I don't even think they were actually tied up, were they? I Maybe think that not. was just a mental projection. Okay, but that's, I mean, okay, so she's doing that. She's in the back seat of the car. She's projecting, like, the driver to be able to drive the car. Because I don't want to pretend that right. it's Jean masking herself as the Hellfire Club. Because it makes her power even crazier. No, she's not. She's, she's in the like, back seat. Yeah, if she's... Yeah, making the dude drive and talk yeah. in his normal voice. Mm-hmm. She's completely Puppet in his head. master, puppet master. Yeah. And to add to the creepy element of it, the dude could be slowly bleeding to death inside of that armor. Yeah. Mm. We, we have no idea what his physical condition is. All his bones could be broken and shattered. Yeah. She's just holding him together like a bag of bo- broken bones. Oh, man. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> she won't even allow him to scream. So then we uh, cut into Emma. Oh, bitch. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> She's now having I... her way with a, a tied-up storm, and Kitty has to go and ruin it for me. Ah, <laughs> oh, but she she uh she may ruin it for you, but uh, she's making the she's making the fellas happy. She's for making sure. the kids happy when she frees Wolverine. Yeah, yeah. Come she on out, buddy. Look at reveals a Bless. new element of her power, one of the more important ones. By phasing through the lock, she releases the lock, scrambles the electronics. I'd just like to say that in the first panel of the next page, after the lock is done and Kitty's bringing Wolverine out, that there's some attention to detail. Just like Byrne paid attention to Moira's boobs and Jean's nipples, Wolverine's got it going on in that department. There's a package. <laughs> there's a there's oh. a there's a there's some package there. Oh man, baby! And this is—I'm not sure about this. I, I probably should have gone back and checked. But uh, we talked before early on about how they misquote his his weight 
they show like the Sentinels or somebody scan him. Yeah. Or maybe it was uh, Weapon Alpha and any ways he's like a normal weight for somebody his size. But here she comments about how heavy he is, even though they're near the same height. And and so now they've accounted for the fact that he has this heavy metal skeleton inside of him. So as she's helping him out, she gets uh, blasted by one of the Hellfire Guards. And Wolverine does not take too kindly to that. That was a mistake. Shows him the claws. And this time there's no doubt about it. They don't show it, but those guards are dead. Oh, yeah. And then we get to see another uh, Nightcrawler teleporting across the panel and punching multiple guys out that Sean loves so much. I do, but we, we yeah, so so as the car pulls in, some of the guards go up to it and uh, Cyclops and Dazzler kind of blast the holy hell out of the car, probably killing those first two guards <laughs> that are still in the car, finishing them off for good. And they uh, run in, and Jean starts fighting White Queen, and yeah, Nightcrawler does the sweet three panel the bamp just stretched out across the the lettering of the bamp just stretched out across the panel now there's a here's a lesson that i learned about that ominous shading for faces just by looking at it just having all those heavy blacks around her eyes and in her upper lip and her chin as she starts to as jean starts to fight uh emma yeah that's just that just looks evil yeah yeah. And I, I didn't even know why it looked evil, but it just looked like, oh, shit. Yeah. It's about to go down now. This is where um, you I whenever I am faced with a fight that seems so uneven, I almost root for the underdog. <laughs> even though it's Emma Frost, I'm like, oh, man, this isn't even going to be a fight. And it's well, not. She asked for it. Look what she did. Yeah. I, no, I agree. You're right. But, uh. She's about to get that ass whipped. Yeah. And we see some, well. some great manifestation of the Phoenix Force as, as Jean is, is putting a smackdown on her. This is what Emma should have known. Don't start none, won't be none. Yep. But here she stepped to this man, and now she's just going to have to get what she paid for. And uh, the whole thing wraps up uh, with Jean being victorious. Um, she and Aurora come out of a pile of rubble. This, I thought, was a little weird. Emma Frost brings down this building that they're fighting in with a psi blast. Don't know exactly how that works, but whatever she did, it was powerful enough. Yeah. Yeah, right? She's and, not uh, telekinetic. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it was... Uh, maybe she hit Jean enough to have her do the the Phoenix Force blast thing yeah. with the bird, and maybe that's yeah. what if helped Jean her. was like, if you're going to hit me that hard, I'm going to hit you this hard, yeah. and then knock the building down. I but buy the, it. The end result is that Jean and Aurora are the only ones left standing. And Jean says that the White Queen wasn't as lucky, implying that she's dead. Well, yeah. we, we know now that that's not true. And it doesn't but, take long to find out that that's not true. It she's, does not. Yeah. But, but uh, Jean, Jean's just getting, she's getting, yeah, go ahead. So she's just, she's starting to slip into the dark side right now. Well, not starting, but I mean, now she's starting to own it. Jason is not around, is what I'm saying. It's getting hard to deny how how good it feels to not have to worry about shit. Yep. But uh, Dazzler rejects Professor X's offer to join the team and because some badass glasses. She, yes, <laughs> yes, those are some giant sunglasses. I'd, I'd wear them. She probably still had eye makeup on, so that's why she she's got a. Oh, 
Oh. But she tells him to keep in touch. See, Alan's got the eye for design. He's... And she was just in a baddest nightclub in the Lower East Side. She's hungover. That's why she's wearing those. <laughs> there you go. That's exactly what's up. That is exactly what's up. <laughs> so then in another one of... Uh, they're now in front of Kitty's house as this is all happening, about to um, talk to her parents. And her father's going ape shit on Xavier. And in probably the creepiest use of Jean's power, the one that finally triggers to everyone that something's clearly wrong, and she's kind of overstepping her boundaries as she completely changes. Kitty's father does not want her. He's losing his mind. You know, my daughter's been out all night. What the hell kind of school is this? And all of a sudden, Jean just says inside her head, enough's enough. And all of a sudden, he's shaking Xavier's hand and telling him how great it's going to be with Kitty being at the school. Mm-hmm. She got tired of hearing him fuss and hearing him fight and being concerned about his only daughter being out all night with a bunch of strangers. Yeah, what a dick. She had she had no <laughs> more patience for, for that kind of fatherly yep. concern. So just change his mind completely so we can take his daughter away from him. Hmm. So add one more to the ranks of the X-Men. Yeah, and you see um, Cyclops and Storm discussing the fact that... Uh, Things are getting wrong with Jean, and there's got to be something going on with her. And you see the the silhouette or the drawing of I don't know how you would explain that from an artistic standpoint, but in the uh, background you see a larger than life Jason Wingard laughing his ass off. Yeah, he's laughing now, but like Alan said, he learns. Yeah, just so like that's... the White Queen did, and he I don't think he ever gets his his comeuppance the way he should no but that brings us to the end of this tale yes oh Sad. now everybody take a collective breath because i know you're all breathless right now I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> this these are just great issues man i, I love was, it we say it every episode i'm sure and people are tired of hearing it but these there's like Every, the baseline awesomeness, and then there's this awesomeness on yeah. top of it. I think this, because I'll always have the stuff that I read when I was young, like the, you know, everybody craps on the 90s stuff, but that stuff always holds the place in my heart that you have with the train tracks and, like, going to get these issues and not having to worry about anything. Right. Um, but these are excellent on a completely other level where it's like no matter what time period you got into comics, how old you were when you read these stories, they're still the best of the best. It's where everything starts. It's where the history is brought up. It's where the characters' voices... Like, if you like the characters now, you like them because so much time and so much detail was put into their voices, character traits, personalities, how they blended with each other, the struggles that they went through. Like, all of that stuff starts here. Like, it begins here. And this was probably the best point for these stories. I could not agree more. All right. So it's been a blast talking with you. My extreme pleasure. And then you have to come back because this was a lot of fun. That's right. I'm coming. And you have to bring me back because I want to be back. All right. Everybody loves the X-Men, guys. Everybody wants to be a part of it. So would you like to take a moment to uh, pimp some things before we say goodbye? To pimpage for me? Yes. Yes. I'll, I'll pimp. So now I've got uh, issues one through seven, which number seven is a giant-sized issue. It's at the printers now. 
And uh, when it arrives, I'm going to be mailing it out to my first uh, printed subscribers from the first Kickstarter. And they will be getting that and all the other rewards from the first Kickstarter. So that will be complete, Jerry. It will be complete. <laughs> the second Kickstarter is the collection of all one through seven in color. The, the seven and eight is in color, but one through six has not been in color. Mm-hmm. So now I... The thing that has taken me this extended three months, it was due out in December, but it's taken me until here, April. So four months is that uh, I went through and um, I made all the lettering uniform and uh, colored the first six issues and um, coalesced them into a, a cohesive whole. Did some editing along the way, some art editing. Mm-hmm. to just correct some of the more egregious mistakes I made in the beginning when I started it out, and it was looking rough. Oh, God forbid you get better as you go, right? <laughs> but but I did, thankfully, and I'm I'm grateful for that. Look, in the beginning when I was drawing it, it's like, I just have a lot of fire and I have a lot of want, and now I look what I just made. That's not what I wanted to make. I don't uh-huh. know if I'm good at this. But, yeah, it got better and better, and, and I'm happy about that. But so when going through the putting it together in a, in a trade paperback, I, 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 I just had to touch up some stuff. So I did that. Sure. And that is also available. All of it for uh, right now, it's at, you can go through PayPal and order it. I'll get your orders and I, and I can send it out to you when the paperback is printed, which should be the, uh, the, the first um, week of May. It should be ready. So that's right. um, com. The, the digital versions are all ready. So you can order digital versions and it's like $10 less than the uh, printed version. So the, the digital is $14.99 and uh, printed is $24.99. 216 pages. Yeah. All right, people. Show Alan some love. He needs your love. And money. And Well, yes. Money is love in my book. <laughs> <laughs> and come see, come just come, come for the just look at the progression of the art. You'll see it. You'll open it up and you'll be like, wait a minute. But then by the time you get to the end, it's like, oh okay, oh, already got a little better, got a little better there. And it's going to continue. I'm going, I'm going to put the rest of it out in um, digital format. So not the rest of it, but just the ongoing series is in digital format. And after I've gotten a couple of story arcs completed, then that goes into the next trade paperback. Good work, sir. Thank you. All right, let's put a bow on this, baby. Alan, it's been a pleasure having you. It has. Thank you. I appreciate it. People, it's been a pleasure talking at you. Stick around long enough, eventually we will have you on as a guest, too. But you won't be as good as Alan. You will not be as good as Alan. I'm sorry. Oh, I bet that's not true. <laughs> We've been looking forward to this day for a long time, sir. Thank you again and again and again. And we look forward to the next time. Nice. Yes. All right, people. So until next time, goodbye.
What? I should have known right then, Jerry, that it wasn't going to work. <coughs> Two nights was that before, before or after the wedding? It was after. Oh, so you were already locked I was already, in. I was already locked in. I should have known beforehand. <laughs> I should have known. I know, I know something now. <laughs> I know a thing now. The thing that I know is that I bet the sex was insane. <laughs> <laughs> I was pretty terrified at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, the term "break you off" has a different connotation with a woman of that stature. My favorite thing though was when we would go to those competitions, and like the bodybuilding dudes would like see me and my like skinny ass and my comic book short shirts and stuff, and just be like, "I don't, I don't understand it." They finally got to her, bastards. Try for the moon.